Hello and welcome to another episode of A Pint of Politics and a Packet of Bacon Fries. Uh, you're joined today by myself, Evan O'Gorman, and my co-host, Jordan Freeney. Today we are going to be looking at the smear test scandal, which has uh, really rocked the country by storm, possibly the biggest controversy that hit the HSE in, uh, in history. Uh, we're going to be looking at the Northern Ireland Brexit crisis and how the border affects the Republic of Ireland. We're going to be looking at the 8th referendum as that takes place this coming Friday. 8th amendment. The 8th amendment. <laughs> the referendum. There's on been the a few 8th. more than 8. 34 yes. I think. Is yes. There. Thank you for that correction. No problem. <laughs> We're going to be looking at the 8th amendment, uh, which the referendum of which takes place this coming Friday. And we are going to be looking at how one Irish woman has become a very influential figure in global businesses. Jordan, it's been six, five weeks? Yeah, it's been a long time. Too long. The last one. It's been doing well, actually. I saw her YouTube for the first one. I never put up the second one and got over 200 views, so that was good. And a lot of people have been asking me where it's been, which is always a good sign. I was so surprised. So many people that, like, it was the nicest feeling in the world when people that I haven't talked in, like, months or even years in some cases messaged me and asked me what's going on with the, with the podcast part of it. Sort of was like, oh, God, I've gotten so lazy, but... Uh, it was so nice to see that people are actually listening to it because I thought we were just talking to ourselves sometimes to be honest with you absolutely and I think the I, I've the same a lot of people who I wouldn't really speak to that often have come to me and said it too but what's really encouraging to see though which is kind of what we set out to do initially with this podcast is that a lot of people who ask me where's it gone what's what's happening with it are people who I would have never considered interested in politics yeah, or that's... current affairs never mind podcasts yeah, but that's why we wanted to do it, wasn't it, originally, to encourage these kinds of conversations and have these talks with people that you wouldn't have ever thought you could be having these talks with. So it's great, and if you are listening to it and you hate everything we're talking about and haven't spoken to us since preschool, send us a message because yeah. we really like it. Um, yeah, so yeah, I suppose in, in its literal sense, we're backed by popular demand. Yeah, well... Relatively popular, Relatively popular demand. No one's told us to stop doing it yet, so that's a good start. Yeah. Yeah, we've we've touch wood. Yeah, Here comes we've, we've won up on George Hook there. <laughs> one uh, thing I've realised from like I've learned a few things from just doing the two podcasts alone, but one thing I've realised is that my laughs are so irritatingly loud. I was testing oh we got a new mic, everybody. You might notice the difference. Yeah, so I was testing out the new mic this morning. And when I was testing it, every time I laughed at every my own jokes, that's how so, sad I am. They like went off the scales. So I need to tone that down because I am probably driving everybody crazy. So I just have this vision uh, of you now in my head of you just sitting in your house by yourself with a microphone laughing hysterically. Pretty much telling myself bad puns and then laughing at how funny I am. And then counting my friends on Facebook and realizing I have 10 less than yesterday. And so... So you'd recommend other people to go into a Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Solid choice. Uh, one of the things, just before we, we jump into the topics of the day, one of the things that you I, I approached you with um, once we decided we were going to get this back up and running again, it was on the back of a lot of feedback that a lot of people found that although they really enjoyed the podcast, they really enjoyed the content and our, our discussion of things, that we weren't we were sitting on the fence too much. And that that almost was taking away from the engagement of the podcast. Yeah, look, I think you have to take a side on some things. But if you be, if you try to please all sides, then nobody really wants to say anything. So that's something that we're definitely going to look at going forward. So that we're trying to go and make it more, uh, while still being an educated approach, we're going to maybe portray our personal opinion a little bit more, um, in the hope that it will create more uh, reach our end goal which is create more discussion around the areas and regardless of whether you agree with us or disagree with us i hope that everybody who's listening will be willing to at least discuss with us or discuss with anybody else the opinions that you hear on this so yeah and i mean it's 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 you know it's one thing for us to discuss our opinions than it is for us to try and convince you of something so i'm certainly going to be a lot more you know, open about my opinions on certain topics, but I'm not going to sit here for an hour or however long the podcast is and try to convince people that my opinion on a certain subject is the right opinion. And as well, exactly. Yeah. Yours yours (laughs) is the right opinion. There's no questioning. And as well, as you said, I think it would be great way for people to get involved by, 
you know, if, if you hear us say something that you don't agree with, tell us. Let us know. Let us know your opinion. Yeah, that's the one thing I'm dying for. Is to somebody really just to turn around and be like, oh my God, shut up. You're three podcasts in and you haven't said one thing I agree with. Absolutely. Like, well, we were never going to get that. We were never going to get that if we were just sat in the vents. Yeah, exactly. No one was ever going to challenge us because we weren't challenging anything. Yeah, true. That's the age-old question, isn't it? Anyway, we better get right into better it. Jump right and in, yeah. We got our like, laughs out anyway, my awkward laughs out anyway. There's not a lot of laughs in today's, in today's subjects, unfortunately, yeah, so it's good to, get them, dark. Yeah, good to get them in. The first topic, I guess, is no exception, and that's regarding the whole smear-testing scandal. Yeah, it's, it's, as I said in the introduction, it's, it's undoubtedly the most... The, the, it's the worst... Things ever happened to the HSE, and never mind the people who've actually been affected by it directly. It's an unmitigated disaster, uh, no matter how well you look at it. But it's, start us off there and give us a bit of background on what we're dealing with. Yeah, so basically, it came to light when a woman named Vicky Phelan won her case in the High Court, or brought her case to the High Court, and basically, she was misdiagnosed. We're going to use misdiagnosed for now, um, I'll sort of clarifying that point later. Uh, she was misdiagnosed about her uh, cervical check screening when she was given the all clear and she shouldn't have been and she later went on to develop terminally ill cancer and obviously with such a serious disease timing is everything in this and there isn't any room for error so she won her case anyway and won quite a substantial amount 2.5 million obviously nothing is a substitute for life and no matter how much money she was given there it was never going to keep her alive as such and it's terribly sad in that sense but what it did highlight and what it could potentially do is save a lot more people going forward so basically it, like to go all the way back or to explain roughly what smear testing is because a lot of people at Hawk to don't even know fully what it is and like okay I'm not going to go into but basically they take a sample of cells they test them to test if any abnormal set and this is in my very layman understanding yes. of it as well but just so we're all on the same page they test these cells to check if the if there's any changes in abnormal cells and if there are they highlight that and so it's a screening process because if there those cells have changed there is a potential that cancer may be there or may develop in the future and if there is no changes then they can sort of say right you're fine for that for now come back another time and we'll check again. But what's happened is that back in 2007, 2008, the start of the recession, everything was about cutting costs. And so the tender came up for these um, checks and it was leased out to two US firms. Uh, well, originally one Quest Diagnostics and later on, later um, Medlab Pathology or Clinical Pathology uh, Laboratories. But... Basically, these are US firms that take the samples, they run the tests on it that they believe, or well, run the tests that they were hired for, and then they send the results back to the Irish doctors. Um, the issue arises because there is no universal agreement on what should be There's highlighted. There's no, no regulation per se that's, that's yeah, across the board. So, like, what one doctor in the States might highlight as this is an issue that should be tested as it could lead to cancer, might not necessarily be picked up in here, or might be picked up over here that it is an issue when it wouldn't be in the States mm -hmm. and so on. And so what came back was that 208, there was an audit in 2014 of this whole system and it came back that 208 of the screenings or the samples could have been diagnosed differently so not that they were necessarily incorrect but how they were treated were so that while the in the states it might have been perfectly fine for that they might have said no this is no issue because it'll be picked up somewhere else when it was sent back to ireland they did not believe or they it could have been it they would have very much highlighted it and it should have been communicated back to the patients and um, so that brings us up to pretty much where we are today because since then it's come out that 18 people, 18 deaths are linked directly to these missed diagnostic diagnosis because of the difference of opinion as mm -hmm. such. So ju just to, I suppose, clarify that into one sentence. So just to pull up two words you use there. So use the, the smear test isn't necessarily a diagnosis per se. 
So to, if, if someone gets a smear test, it's not saying whether they do or don't have cervical cancer. Yeah. It's it's giving them the possibility of contracting or developing uh, cervical cancer in the future. Yeah, now, like, like it's a screening process, mm-hmm. so they might have it already, and that would highlight it, but it isn't the diagnosis. Would it, like, from the research that I conducted, it was ver- it's very much a first step. So you go there, if you're given the all clear, you can sort of say, right, I'm okay for now, I'll come back another time mm-hmm. and check if you're... But it should highlight any sort of tendencies towards cervical cancer and point you in the direction of the steps that you need to take. And in that audit then, the, the 208, 209, I'm not sure what number it was. So that number of tests that came back said that the people whose tests they were, were unlikely to develop cervical cancer. But after the audit, it's been found that those may not have been the correct that might not be Reports the correct report, reporting yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah, and that's the big issue that it's re- both tested differently in the States and reported differently. Mm-hmm. And it brings us back to this issue of cutting costs in the referendum. Uh, or not in the referendum, I'm jumping ahead here in the recession. <laughs> my mind is saying one thing and my eyes are reading something else. But um, yeah, so cutting costs in the recession because this was like everything was cost focused in the recession, everything was driven by what can we do cheaper mm-hmm. and when it comes to something like this when it's life and death maybe this is something that we shouldn't have been looking outsourcing. completely at outsourcing like i was looking at the tendering process at the time and 400 of the thousand points were based on the price basically whoever was cheapest would get the most out of those 400 points an extra 50 was for value added services so essentially another price um, indicator so while it wasn't the majority of points were based off price alone like that's a huge number you know like you're going to have a load of tenders coming in that will be very even across the other uh, across the other criteria and then to give 400 points on price alone is huge that will push anybody who is the most price competitive to the top of the pole and so it ended up being that it was cheapest outsourced to the US which avoided a lot of the issues of doing so in my opinion I think that it's almost sloppy in a way when you're outsourcing something obviously there is the pros and cons of outsourcing and one of them is that it's being cost effective but surely one thing that you have to test especially when you're doing a national cervical screening testing right so the first step for pretty much every woman in Ireland and this is basically like you know as the minister for health or you know as the decision makers that this is going to be something that people base their whole life off like it's not like the states where you just where you might decide oh I'm gonna go and check the whole process this is a this is a screening process that's supposed to allow women that comfort or allow people that comfort and of knowing whether there's a potential they have it or not and to outsource it to a country where or, or to outsource it to anybody who has a different testing and reporting method to your own i just think that's sloppy that you don't even that to not even clarify or to not have a review system in place a, a review system that is relative to the matter that it involves so for something like this you need something that has quite a quick turnover of reviewing so even if it's tested in the states that it is reported on in an Irish standard and that then the uh, it is returned back to the, the Irish side of it Being quickly HSE. enough yeah, that they can review it in a quick enough manner that that can be reported back to the patients. Surely that's something you want to have, you need to have imposed in a system like this for it to be effective. And then not only that, but once these did happen, there were situations where there was arguments between the HSE or the the actual cervical screening committee and the doctors and the gynecologist over who tells the patients. Mm-hmm. And these things all delay it, whether it be by days, months. This was a year in some cases. Like, how can you justify leaving a potential cancer victim the difference between their life and death on who wants to take responsibility for giving them the bad news somebody has to surely have a bit of integrity and say look nobody wants to hear this news and nobody wants to be the person to deliver this news but for the better of everybody 
I need to deliver this. It really is outrageous, and that is, like, it's so infuriating, especially if you know somebody that has been involved in this, or if you are a victim of this. I, like, it's so hard. There's no justifying it. Yeah, and in terms of the victims you mentioned there, so I think uh, this week or the weekend, uh, the number has ro- risen to 18 deaths, I think, yeah. resulting from it, which... You know, if, if each of those is a case where what you just brought us through happened, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a depressing, it's a depressing statistic. So I suppose the question now is, you know, it's, it's very well to go back and criticise a government and policymakers in 2007, but, you know, that won't change the lives of the people who are affected. So I suppose the question now is what happens next? Um, and we've seen, obviously, you know, phenomenal backlash in the news from from this happening and over the last month government dissatisfaction is on the rise on a sharp rise i don't actually have the numbers right in front of me here but uh 52 percent 52 percent dissatisfaction so you know that's that's obviously not great and the government were as we spoke in our first episode of this six weeks ago the government weren't in a very stable position at the time then i remember we had fianna fall gearing up hard hitters to the front of their bench presumably gearing up for a general election so a general election has always been something that's been on the cards so it'll be interesting to see how this affects the government's standing uh, amongst the public simon harris has said he wants to move the tests to ireland is that something that you think is possible P- putting what's happened aside and if you look at it from a purely financial point of view which ultimately the decision makers will be looking at it from yeah is like- that's something that can that can be done like, the big question now is budget. Like, we've recently been speaking to the IMF and things like that, and there's this whole idea of do we just balance our budget or do we create a surplus? Um, and our fiscal space, um, which is the key word, and every other monetary organisation says don't use your fiscal space, and we say, well, that's what we're allowed to use as such. We do have a little bit of it left. Um, there's theories that it's going to be used for tax cuts just before the election. But it... it End of the day, it comes down to policy, the government policy, Fine Gael's policy towards it. I think because it is such a big issue, they're going to find the money somewhere, um, whether that be cut it from somewhere else or use some of the fiscal space and maybe not use as much, um, not rely on tax cuts as much coming into the election to encourage their um, voter satisfaction. But I think it, like... The thing that we have to remember is that it is a fantastic idea. It is something that we have to keep going and that nobody should turn around and just say it should be scrapped because it didn't work. Uh, like there's something crazy like 30,000 people screened on this a year, which is fantastic. And it's something that is really beneficial when it works. It's just about we cannot let it slip and we can't take it for granted. And that is why we have to stay on top of it and why more frequent audits, audits should occur um, or maybe more thorough audits. But yeah, I, to go back to your initial question, I do think that there, if there isn't the money there, that it will be found, or that... I, I think the money is there, to be honest with you. Like, when governments want to, they can make the money appear to, like, to be very naive about it, but at the same time real about it. Something this catastrophic as well as something... But something watch. like this, it needs to be monitored close by. It needs to have a quick turnover. Even something as simple, like when you take basic things, I know we live in such a modern world where we can get things, you can buy something from Amazon in China and you can have it at your doorstep the next day, but you know, maybe that's a day we don't have. Like when you can drive a sample an hour up the road, it makes a hell of a difference. Mm-hmm. It's the difference between being tested on a Friday and being tested on a Monday. And while that might not seem like loads, then the testing might take a week or so like this is all hypothetical but time is such a valuable resource in something like this and every minute in my opinion counts so i think it's something that both should be and can be moved to ireland uh there's an argument so obviously the backlash of this tony o'brien he's the uh ceo of the hse and he was due to resign or due to retire from the hse uh in late july but obviously as a result of the smear test scandal, he uh, made a, a quick resignation, shall we say. There wasn't any hanging around. Is it possible that now, look, Tony O'Brien, he's never been particularly popular in the public eye. He's always had quite a lot of 
a, a lot of criticism from groups across the board, HSE and non-HSE. Is it possible that he uh, he took the silver bullet and that, you know, so the government looked at the situation, people were demanding for something to be done, and, you know, something to be done is a fairly vague uh, demand, but they have to be seen, the government have to be seen to be doing something, and they have to be seen to be doing something quickly. With his resignation coming in a couple of months' time and his unpopularity in the public domain, do you think firing him was a, an easy cop-out almost for the government? Yeah, like, look, they're going to try and look at every sort of finger they can point, in a way, anything that isn't pointing at them. I'll just clarify, sorry, he wasn't officially fired, he officially resigned, but, yeah. you know, you can... Well, this is the way it works, especially with a public service, is that when, once the government doesn't show their confidence in you is the sort of general term relayed that once they lack confidence in you you're very you you resign very quickly mm. after generally implied now look you could be extremely naive again and just assume that all these things happen as a coincidence and maybe they did but like if you're sitting in a position of power you want to point every finger away from you you want to say look we're doing this like you can look at even the the labs involved in this like if you google them there's maybe five percent of the amount of articles on them as there is on the government involved in this even though the government would be at a very high level they wouldn't be directly dealing with all these cases individually you would think that the la- the blame would be with the lab or something like that but they take a step back and they point the finger at somebody else and so you go in the circle of a blame game and there's going to be a few people who are taken down along the way. And that kind of goes back to what really caused a lot of the stress for so many people involved was that nobody wanted to be to blame. They just wanted to push the responsibility onto somebody else, to further responsibility onto somebody yeah. else. Yeah, so it's um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. As you said, more than likely, they hopefully anyway, will will relocate their uh, their tests to an Irish facility. Yeah, like I just can't see any feasible reason now when there's money available, the economy is doing better, that it shouldn't be here. Mm. Um, like not in a protectionist kind of way. I don't care about taking jobs back or anything like that. It's just merely in a practical sense. Mm. And like if you have experience with this and you feel that like it's perfectly fine for it to be in the States and that it's just it, may, it would make very little difference let me know but I really don't feel like that's the case yeah um, it'll be I, I personally think the the government particularly uh, Simon Harris like I know Simon Harris you know you're going back to 2007 here when this was originally exported to America and you know it's very hard to put you know you can say he's responsible as the head of Department of Health Minister of Health but I think I think the government especially him they got off pretty lightly I think yeah. I, I, now, I'm not suggesting that they should be punished or they should have some sort of... They should immediately all resign. But I would have... I thought the backlash on them would have been a lot more severe than it has been. Yeah, this is... Uh, Which is why I think really, the Tony O'Brien... It goes back to the Tony O'Brien thing. Why I think maybe he was an easy an easy kill, almost. If, if, if the government and the Minister of Health is seen to be acting and, you know, banishing the bad guy from the situation then they suddenly almost become the good guys. And I'm not saying they are or they aren't, but I'm just suggesting that maybe that's... Why they haven't been damaged as yeah. severely as you would expect. Well, yeah, this is an issue. Like, I think it brings to light a few different ideas around, around politics and what actually affects approval ratings. It kind of reminds me of a conversation we were having just before we started where we were talking about Obama and how he'll be seen as if he'll be a good president or a bad president. And you made the statement that a president um, can be seen as successful if he leaves the country in a better state than when he started. And I think it very much depends on how you react to things, how you react to circumstances, because it might not necessarily... Something completely out of your hands in a different government's time might come to light now that maybe had nothing to do with you but your approval is affected by how you react to it and that's what I think is happening here I think oddly enough people are happy with how the government are reacting to it and while there is very much a point the finger they have opened up an inquiry and there's talks about bringing it back to Ireland and maybe 
that's what the people are seeing and they've sort of accepted that this is something that they can't change now and fix now but it's all about reaction and maybe that's partly why they have been not severely hurt on the polls over this or as much as you would expect over a scandal such as this well i mean hopefully it's uh it's resolved in the best interest of those involved and um we'll see our thoughts go out to them yeah for sure uh, well, we'll leave that where it is at the moment. There's not really much more can be uh, discussed by ourselves on that. And we are almost halfway through our, our uh, <laughs> originally desired time for this comeback podcast. So, Ooh, we'll, double, dutter, double series. I tell you, we'll, uh, we'll press on. So um, there's been a bit of movement up in Northern Ireland. Not anything sudden, but it's been a, a sort of a slow brew in regards to Brexit, uh, United Ireland, borders... Do you want to bring us through a little bit about that? Yeah, so there's so much talk about this and as it gets closer and closer to the time, it's obviously going to become a bigger and bigger issue. There's just so many things that are being thrown out at the moment and the latest one is now that it's getting closer and maybe things haven't been resolved as quickly as the public would have expected, that there's fears of violence in Northern Ireland again. And I think they're... I'm going to go right out and say I think they're well-founded fears in the sense that you would be extremely careless to not consider the fact, or not to consider Northern Ireland's history when coming out to this and being afraid of something like that happening again. That's something, uh, I remember we had, uh, when we were in school, we had, um, I can't remember his name, the Auschwitz prisoner come in to talk to us, the survivor, to talk to us about his time in the concentration camp. And one of the things he said to me that really stuck with me was that we're the last generation to hear about this, these atrocities firsthand and that it's so important to remember these things so that we never fall into this same trap. And it's something that the likes of Tony Blair has said as well about Northern Ireland, that we can't simply forget the past, that we have to remember that and we have to remember the potential threat of violence when making any decision especially something like a soft or hard Brexit. Mm-hmm. So the, the whole issue is whether a border would bring about violence. And many people think it will. We were talking about some polls at the start where we saw that 9% of the people surveyed would vandalise cameras on the border if there was. Now, at the same time, 0% said that they wouldn't har- harm another person, but who's going to get up in a survey and say that they're going to harm another person? One reassuring thing from that was to see that 60 to 80% of those surveys said that they would peacefully protest. So regardless of whether people are happy with the border or not, at least we can sort of be happy that the majority of people, the vast majority of people, would see peaceful means of portraying their argument. Now, but is is that, sorry to cut across you, is that not, you know, surely that just, it, it just really cements how bad the decision would be to bring in the border like if we're looking at best case scenario 60 to 80 percent of people peacefully protesting like what kind of decision is made where people are saying that they're going to be ready they're prematurely saying they're going to be protesting by this decision made surely if 60 80 percent of people that can't be a good decision in the first place well that's a whole policy issue with the brexit Uh, 56% of people in Northern Ireland voted to remain Mm. in the EU and that's only since increased. Uh, I think the latest figures were 69% of the UK, not just uh, Northern Ireland, wished to remain in the EU. So working on those statistics alone, that would imply that the same amount of people would be ready to protest against it or would be in opposition of the idea. And that's an ongoing trend through Brexit and maybe it's sort of now that the honeymoon period of Brexit is over, people start to have to nail down and make the big calls and make the take the consequences before they may... Like, look, I it's so hard to judge what's going to happen out of Brexit, but whether it be good or bad, there's definitely going to be some consequences before they get either. And can you, can you tell people why the Good Friday Agreement is at jeopardy here? Well, the whole idea of the Good Friday Agreement and not to, like one of the major region, reasons the Good Friday Agreement worked was because of the particular circumstances. So it created a very fine balance I think. You had two countries that were now willing to work together that weren't working in opposition. You had two countries that were members of the EU and when you think about why 
The whole Good Friday Agreement was solved. The issue that the Republicans believed that they had a, a constitutional right and that they had a right to take Northern Ireland back in a sense by any means necessary and loyalists would retaliate and believe that Northern Ireland had a right to be part of the UK and so like that's a very very simplified version but the fact that all these situations emerged the likes of the two countries being members of the EU and such and had become more dependent on each other throughout the years like you have to ask yourself what what does a border do and generally it stops the movement of people and movement of goods and the fact that goods wouldn't need to be checked because of custom unions and people wouldn't necessarily need to be checked because the EU could come to some, or the two countries at least, could come to some sort of migration unanimous decision. It allowed an invisible border to be created is what they call it. And because then you could essentially stand on the border, there was no separation such borrowed the better roads maybe between Northern Ireland and Ireland you could stand on the border and you wouldn't even know and once you start putting up walls or start putting up visible barrier now by visible I don't mean just being able to see it I mean like even if you see armed guards at the border or whether you see that you have to slow down and go through a toll as such coming in that starts to create well hold on a second where like where are we going here because the whole idea of this was that it was sort of left in neutral grounds, that it, it could go either way, it could go Irish or towards the UK. But lately, with the likes of the DUP being in the British government, the whole Northern Irish Parliament dissolving in January 2017, and now budgetary, budgetary matters are decided by Britain, it almost seems or it could be perceived that Northern Ireland is being pushed back towards, not British rule, but it's being... I know this is such a sensitive subject, but I'm I'm just trying to say that it can be perceived that this whole harmony has been disrupted. The ecosystem or the geopolitical system of Northern Ireland is changing. That you no longer can simply move from Republic to uh, Northern Ireland if there's a border in there. And so then you might say, well, hold on a second, how come you can move from England to Northern Ireland basically freely? if this is supposed to be a medium state as such, if that makes sense. To try and give an idea of the balance, the very brittle balance that's been achieved, like the MI5 intelligence service in the UK have consistently ranked Northern Ireland before ISIS or before anything else like this came along as severe, which is what everywhere else in Europe is at now. So they always saw that there was a very fine line being drawn here and anything can upset this balance. They've also, um, in the British Parliament, in their UK in a Changing Europe recent report, show basically just stated that while there's a belief in human harmony and that people will work together, that any situation in Northern Ireland could deteriorate very, very quickly. And so there's definitely a threat of violence there especially because of this whole di- disruption to the geopolitical system. But I think that we have to have faith in the growing um, emergence of globalization. that because of that, the 20 year, my maths is completely off now. Yeah, the 20 year period since the Good Friday Agreement, people have integrated enough that we no longer look at each other as you and me, but as us. And so, Hopefully that no longer just stops us at a border and hopefully that's not what this border will do. And that's why I think everybody is looking for a soft border because the softer the border, the lower the wall you have to look over a sense to see your neighbour. I feel like once you can do that, there's less threat of violence. It kind of highlights the whole issue of Northern Ireland. Now, I don't want to get into Northern Irish history and politics here because we'll be here for five days recording. <laughs> if we do but there's something for me there's strikes me as there being something fundamentally wrong with a country that yes is in a state of harmony right now based on an agreement that was made 20 years ago and has remained in a relatively harmonic state since but by the introduction of a border between it and another country can cause that harmony to descend into an oblivion of chaos for me it kind of highlights that although what we have right now is as good as we're probably going to get. It's really not great 
that we have to rely on the fact that there can be no change to this harmonic rhythm without the possibility of utter chaos and violence in what's comparatively a tiny country of a very small population. Well, this is something that only peace can change, mm. right? So the longer you live in harmony, and there's a, I was watching some great time lapses, I think it was on the Irish Times, um, where they basically showed the dispersion between Catholics and Protestants in cities like Derry and Belfast. And there's you can draw a line down it and see one side lives on one side and the other lives on the other. And then along comes the Good Friday Agreement and they start to integrate. And now you can still clearly see that divide, but there's integration happening. And the longer you have peace and the longer you keep things in that harmony, people will start to integrate. And you've got to think... It's almost the opposite of how we got here in the first place. So the plantation separated people, and that's how the situation emerged. But by keeping them together, then it will eventually improve. And while one minute I'm saying we have to remember history, that in a hundred years, when you're living beside your neighbour and they're a Protestant and you're a Catholic, you might not necessarily, you'll be naive to the fact of the issues that you two would have had based on your religion in a previous century. And so in those situations, in a different time, in a different century or different generation, if a wall was put up, it might not have had such an issue. But it's because I think it's so, like 20 years is fresh, you know? It's like, if this was a bandage in the world, it's, you literally just put it on and took it off, so. We're close to 20. I like to think, I like to still believe that I'm still close to 20 anyway, so. Yeah. If, we, if we look at the at our time on this planet in comparison to the greater time of the Earth and greater time of recorded history, I mean, it's minuscule. It's so small. So, yeah, you, it's a good point that it is such a small amount of time and wounds probably are still fresh under those bandages. It's good that uh, the uh, just before I move on, so I suppose the Irish government do have the support of the EU, the open support of the EU, that... I think the EU said something along the lines that an agreement won't be made until the Irish government are happy. So I mean that's I mean that's good in the sense that the Irish government we know what their stance is that they want a soft border. So yeah, there's promise there. And that's one thing I see that I was reading a lot of um, pro Brexit articles because again I tried to get a perspective from both sides and they're so infuriated by Varadkar and Coveney and whether you like them or not, that at least by playing hardball. They're really forcing this whole, we're taking nothing but a soft border, if not a soft Brexit, because I feel like soft Brexit is almost guaranteed if there's a soft border, or if there's no border at all. There was a cartoon someone put out, I can't remember who it was on Twitter, I think it might have been somebody in the DUP, but I could be wrong, so correct me if I am, um, and it, it, was, it was so incredibly offensive. Now, I found it very funny because I have a very dark, twisted sense of humour, but it was so offensive. And, you know, it was it was like, there was a cartoon, it was like somebody holding this child's hand, and the person, the adult holding the child's hand, had a British Union Jack kind of clothing. And the, the child, you know, it was like, it was, it, it was messy, it was covered in dirt, it was kind of drooling at the mouth, and um, it had an Irish flag as the T-shirt, and it said on the cap, please be patient, I have famine or something like that. It was so incredibly offensive. That would have um, been perfect for Bizarre Stories this week. Yeah, it would have actually, it would have. But, um, oh, well. It was, oh, it was brilliant. I, it, it really, it got completely obliterated off the internet. It's still on a Reddit forum. You can find it if you want. Um, I'm not going to attach it with the podcast because it, the podcast would just get taken down then, but I definitely implore you to, have to check that out. It. It's very funny. Anyway, shall Moving we move on? on? Yeah, we have a lot coming up on the one particular day. It's a big day. It is. This coming Friday. This Friday, the yeah. 25th big of day. May. So, before we move on to what is probably going to be the biggest and most controversial section of our podcast, and probably of our this whole series that I feel like we'll never get away from it, let's talk about something a little bit lighthearted. Your woman of the year, or a woman you are very um, fond of? Yeah, you're very happy for her anyway. Yeah. You, were, you were talking quite well of her. You're kind of making me sound like I, I kind of have feelings for this. <laughs> I don't know, maybe you do. Like You were very insistent on having this section in. Yeah, so... Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll edit that out. Wow. 
You really uh, threw me under the bus with that one. <laughs> so there is, if anyone isn't aware of the GDPR, so you might have heard of the GDPR in the news, stands for the General Data Protection Regulation. You might be subtly aware of it because you've been bombarded with emails in the last three to four weeks of any website you've ever signed up an account on, whether it's for shopping, whether it's for you know getting your nails done, whether it's for booking your five-a-side pitch. You're probably being getting bombarded with emails about how that company handles your data or we have a new privacy policy, can you read this please? You go onto a new website and they tell you, please read this privacy policy. You used to get it a lot, but you're starting to get it a lot the last couple of weeks. And that's because uh, Europe has brought in these new new laws around how businesses and organizations store, manage and share your online data. There's a particularly interesting character in all this, and that is the character of Helen Dixon. Now, Helen Dixon is the Irish data commissioner, and she has been... Now, Ireland, look, Ireland is a small country with a small population. If I went to somebody in, you know... Italy and told them about Helen Dixon, the Irish Data Commissioner. It was completely irrelevant to them. Why would anyone care about who the Irish Data Commissioner is? So she's been getting quite a lot of attention, a phenomenal attention, particularly in America and Canada, from some of their big publications over there, New York Times, Seattle Times, Toronto Star, and of the Irish side of the sea, the Financial Times as well. All very interesting, this woman. Reason being is because if you look at all the big data junkies in the world, You've got Facebook, you've got Google, you've got Apple. All of their European and a lot of their Middle Eastern homes are based in Ireland. Now, because they're based in Ireland, Helen Dixon has, she's on their doorstep. She has easy access to them, as, as to the whole data commission. So if, they, if they're going to be the ones who are enforcing the GDPR uh, on these companies, the rest of Europe's data commissioners are going to be looking at Helen Dixon to enforce that because we're on the ground with these companies in our small little potato farming island off on the west coast. Basically what it means is if, for example, so this Friday, why this Friday is so important is because that's when these new regulations come into play. And, you know, if you haven't been living under a rock the last three or four months, there was a lot, a lot of controversy over data protection there regarding particularly Facebook, Cambridge Analytica, their influence, uh, Russia as well, their influence on Brexit and the Trump campaigns. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg had to appear before Congress over. Yeah, so this is what I was just about to ask you. Is this kind of Europe's... It's, it's almost like she's the good guy and Mark Zuckerberg's the bad guy, kind of like... It really is, and it, it's funny. Uh, America, the rest of the world, bar Europe, have been really slow to move on this. Particularly America have been very, very slow to move on this. And it, it kind of it contributes to the whole skepticism of silicon valley you know there's a, there's a growing movement of people that want nothing to do with this silicon valley movement this tech movement they don't understand that they don't trust it it's understandable in some cases but the fines for this helen can put some serious fines in place for some of these companies if you take facebook for example if mark zuckerberg and facebook fail to meet the gdpr standards i, I don't have those standards in front of me i did have them but um they would make you very very sad after after listening for four hours on all of them if they fail to do it they can be fined up to four percent of their global revenue not just their irish not just the european but their global revenue so in facebook's case if that were to happen if they were to be hit with a maximum fine that'd be 1.6 billion uh us dollars in a fine it's a hefty enough isn't it yeah so look it's it's you know it's not it's not a crazy big story i suppose the biggest story the bigger story well, of it is the GDPR regulation, but I just thought it was great that someone in Ireland was getting such recognition globally. Yeah, good job, Helen. Good job, Helen. Well done. I'm, <laughs> this is something that like really shocked me when I heard about it first. Uh, I loved watching. Did you watch the Mark Zuckerberg um, the interrogation by Congress? The Congress it was. It was. It was painful from both sides. It was I'd really say. funny to watch. Yeah. <laughs> For all um, the wrong reasons, it was so funny. It, yeah, it really was over such a serious issue, and I don't think anybody could almost take it seriously. But there's things came up on it that were so shocking. So the likes that Facebook collected profiles on people that weren't associated with Facebook. Now, look, I've always been one like when the whole um, NSA came out in America and all this, and that we're all being monitored and everything. And I kind of was one of these people that for a long time thought 
you know what? I'm not interesting enough for me to care about being monitored. I'm not, like, doing anything important. Like, if you want to look at me through my webcam while I'm playing GeoGuessr, trying to find out where I am in the world, <laughs> like, by all means, work away. But I, I always thought it was something that wasn't really that bad because, look, I'd kind of know that if I'm opening a laptop, I'm going to be spied on. Like, if I put my tinfoil cap on now, or that if I use Facebook, they're going to collect my data. But the fact that they were taking data from people that weren't even members of it, oh, like, I hate Facebook. I really, I, I despise them, but it's so addictive. And, like, ironically, I'm going to post this podcast all over Facebook later. Absolutely. So give us a like. Give us a share. Very important to give us a share. Fill out the survey, you know, your age, your gender, oh, yeah. what your favourite, uh, what your demographic is, all that sort of thing. We won't sell it to Facebook, don't worry. No, definitely not. Because, but, like, it, it just really, it was actually the first time that it got to me. <laughs> and I, I couldn't get over how little the Americans wanted to regulate on, and a lot of it, as you say, seems to be because Silicon Valley, you know, have sort of such a political force and such money behind them that I think anybody's going to be unwilling to take them down and you saw how friendly a lot of the senators and the congress people that actually knew what the internet was were with Mark Zuckerberg and how they thought he was more of a hero like it seemed like they they were interviewing their for 90% of the day, Congress people. I feel like they were interviewing him on Saturday Night Live. Or yeah, something. that he was here and it was like, oh, Mark, my, <laughs> what my have dude. you done with my data, Mark? And then you'd get a laugh out of the audience and then they'd switch to some game show or something. Like, it really seemed like that. So, like, really props to somebody like Helen who is really pushing this and putting Ireland at the forefront of, as a country, of somebody that wants to be proactive about something that is going to not necessarily need regulation, but need monitoring. While maybe we don't necessarily want the internet regulated, we, I think it's an okay thing to ask that my data isn't shared with a website that I'm not on and that it's not sold and made money for. just feel like it's, it's a easy. small ask. Ah, yeah. Like, it's a small <laughs> ask. If I knew I could sell my data, and like, if I'm not on Facebook, let me sell my own data. Don't go and take my data and sell it to somebody else. Sorry, you've completely that's okay, that's taken okay. off your point. but I won't, I won't judge you. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, I wish Helen obviously the best of luck. In, uh, yeah, keep uh, doing... Yeah, hopefully she gets a few big uh, big fines as well. It'd be, it'd be kind of... Just for the... I've, yeah, I've nothing, the... I've nothing against big global companies or anything like that. I think it's great having them in Ireland. But, you know, I always love a bit of controversy. And you know, yeah. if Helen turned around and said, all right, we're going to be taking 1.6 billion quid off Facebook... That's That'd it. be pretty exciting. Go down to the keys and knock on Google's door, and oh yeah, <laughs> we're going to get banned from all these websites now. We won't be able to post anything on SoundCloud. We won't be able to share anything on Facebook. Oh, well, <laughs> follow deep, us on on the deep web, which is yeah, we'll be the only podcast on the deep web. That's our niche. That is our niche, actually. Yeah, it was how did we miss that? And we could, we you know, what we could do, we could do here, we could sit here, we could just slate Facebook and then shill loads of weapons and drugs on the show. That's. Oh my god, we could monetize the show with weapons and drugs. There we go. Anyway. Anyway, let's move on to more pressing and more serious matters that don't involve the shilling of weapons. Yeah. There's another big uh, big thing happening this Friday uh, in Ireland uh, particularly, and that is, I'm going to say it right this time. I'm not going to say the 8th referendum. Here we go. I'm going to say... That's going to kill the mic. The 8th Amendment. Referendum. Referendum. I was leaving to pause, Charlie. No problem. I just gotta admit, it's it's a habit now. Every time you say it, I have to jump in with something. So look, I'm just look. I'll I'll kick us off. I'm just gonna make a quick reference back to the our first show of this, which we touched on the subject on at the time as well. Yeah. Six weeks ago, and um, I'm just gonna compare the polls real quick, and just gonna give my. Not much has changed, I suppose, apart from the polls. Not much has changed in the referendum. It's not like a general election where you, know, you have people dropping out here and there. You've yeah, I had a, like in the first one, I ranted a lot about how the courts had decided everything and legislation as such. Like, think yeah, the, the main thing that's changed since we last talked was the polls, really. So yeah, th- there hasn't really been much change. So just just to kind of visit those. So back in January, which were the most recent polls when we last did our show, the yes vote was at fifty six percent. And the no was at 29, which I argued at the time, you know, that was only, uh, yeah, that's a 27% difference in those two votes, not including the 15% swing. So I was arguing at the time that that's still pretty up in the air six months before. 
a referendum. I didn't think they were going to change as much as they have done. And particularly in my opinion, they that, that that's quite a lot. So it stands now, yes, are at 44%. So they've gone below 50, which for any election campaign is never, never great, especially when there's only two, two outcomes. And no has gone up to 32 with a 12% swing. So obviously you can see there that no have either taken up a large quantity of the yes voters and a small portion of the swing, vice versa. It's, it's hard to say, but it's they're getting close. Yeah, so you made a good point earlier. You were saying that the no side... It's funny because I'm a yes voter. You're a yes voter, if you don't mind me saying Yeah, yeah, no. But I, like, it's, I think it's important to constantly keep watch of what the other side is doing. And so one thing you meant to said to me earlier that really stuck out was that these polls favour no. So why do you think yeah, that? Yeah, and it's you know it's a theory that I have myself just based on recent um, similar elections, both in, well, not in Ireland necessarily, but in, in, in well, a little bit in Ireland, actually. The marriage referendum sort of plays into the theory. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy to, to discuss this with anybody, but although the no are down, I think judging by recent large-scale elections where you have a conservative versus a liberal opposition, so you take this, for example, you take the marriage equality, you take Brexit, you take uh, the American presidential election. They were all conservative versus liberal oppositions. So let's just say, for example, we take these polls as true and the polls are very accurate and very reliable. So if the polls are true, then the no will be pretty confident over the last, especially with these most recent polls, which I think only came out this month, of their rise. Well, not so much that they've risen significantly, but no, but yes, have, have dropped significantly as well. So the no side are going to be pretty confident that they can really put a big push in this week to try and get those remaining 12% swing. Now, let's say, for example, we take the polls as unpredictable, which if you look at those recent elections that I just mentioned, the polls in all of those bar marriage equality, so Brexit and the American presidential election, the polls for both of them favour the Liberal vote consistently until election day when the conservative vote won now if i'm a no voter and i'm aware of this and i'm looking at those current polls where yes has remained consistently ahead by still more than 10 percent, sometimes 20 percent, i'm not really going to be too concerned about that because the way i see it well conservatism versus liberalism has shown in recent elections that the polls just aren't reliable so that's why I think as a no voter, if I was a no voter and I was looking at that, I'd be pretty comfortable going into this election, despite the yes having a lead consistently. Now, I know you have different uh, a different view I on the polls. I don't agree with you. I'm, I'm sorry. Why? Tell me <laughs> And why. every time I hear it, like, you make a better argument each, like, I think we talked about it twice before the show. And every time you've argued it, you actually argue it better. And I'm starting to more see where you're coming from. The only thing that I think will happen in this that we like the only factor that it will be different in this is the fact that as you said it's the liberals that are usually the favorite win and I think it's because of them being so outspoken and I think in those other votes there was maybe a, a hidden a secret voter you know you didn't say what you wanted out loud not even to polls because it was almost frowned upon you you got a phone call to say who you're voting for as part of a survey and you didn't want to tell them which you were getting, but I think this side, both sides are outspoken, and I think even the no side are more outspoken than the yes side. I don't think there's a secret voter in this. Like, we see, I've seen cars with the vote no, I've seen cars with the repeal, I've seen people with vote no badges, I've seen people with vote yes. Like, everybody is vocal, everybody is talking about it, and okay, maybe there might be a minor effect if there's one person among a group of ten, but I think the majority of no voters are in a very They're in sort plain of, sight. Yeah, yeah, and they're in their own um, macrocosm or microcosm of no voters. Well, same with yes voters, they're in their own microcosm of yes voters. And so, while maybe it might appear that there's a secret voter within our effect in your group, I don't think it is evident across all of Ireland. And I think that everybody is quite vocal, everybody is willing to say who they are, and then statistically, I'm praying, I'm praying statistically that the polls stay up not like uh, everything else aside the reason i'm praying is because stats are so important statistics are so important and if they're wrong again it really undermines polls completely and look you very could be 
well be right but I just think that this one is more black and white in the sense that people are willing to portray what they believe in I suppose just to clarify my my argument there I wasn't necessarily saying that no are more likely to win yeah based on that I suppose almost in a subconscious level my motivations were saying what I said on that topic was to encourage I'm not trying to tell you to vote in any particular way but I suppose if you are planning on voting yes and you do fundamentally believe in what you're voting for I suppose it's a way of motivating you to actually go out and vote on the day because as I said I believe that the no vote they're confident they're not worried they're not having this big you know I see a lot of people trying to portray the no voters as being completely all over the place they don't know what they're voting for they're disorganized we talked about the resources, um, Canto, we talked about the money they have behind their election. You know, you can say what you want about their morals, their ethics, their opinions. They're not disorganised and they're not short of cash or short of resources. So I suppose it's a way of trying to encourage people who want to vote yes to actually vote yes because the no aren't going to go down quietly. Yep. Which brings me on to another theory that I have on the election too, um, which is something that I wanted to talk about. and. You're probably going to be bored of listening to it now because I spoke to you about it for about an hour inside before we prepared this. But it's it's around the whole idea of identity politics. And it's something I'm not going to even suggest I'm taking any credit for what I'm about to say. <laughs> uh, this is all. It's if you probably wanted... more dangerous to take credit for something like this, to be honest with you. Yeah, potentially, yeah. Um, no, so this, I've, I've, I've become very interested in the podcast of Sam Harris who is an American writer and a scientist. And he is a fundamental believer, or not, not, a, not a believer as such, but he is very outspoken against the whole idea of identity politics. So the idea of identity politics is the idea of taking a particular side or a stance based on what can be portrayed or what can be perceived as an irrational or irrelevant belief that usually relates to yourself based on the opinion you're taking. So that's a very, very long-winded way of saying that. So if you look at it this way, let's say, for example, Jordan, the two of us were to sit here and try to encourage people to vote no, okay? And let's say that theoretically, some kind of data or some sort of science came out that, let's say it proved theoretically that even abortion in the first 12 weeks was cruel or unethical or was harmful to a conscious being. Okay, theoretically, let's just say that. And let's say the two of us were to sit here and promote a vote no based on this scientific data. Not because of our beliefs in anything else, but just solely because of that data. And we were to raise strong arguments in favour of that and open ourselves to debate. There is not a doubt in my mind, correct me if I'm wrong, there is not a doubt in my mind that we would be attacked on all fronts because we were two men in that argument. Now, that's a provocative thing for me to say. I know I might get criticism over that, but that is an idea. That is a, an example of identity politics. Us getting attacked over that because of our gender, uh, even because of maybe well our race doesn't really come into it, but because of our gender, that we almost don't have a say in it because we as men can't get an abortion. You know, if if your argument is that you can't vote no, and this is something that I got caught up in on Twitter there a couple of weeks ago, so I started seeing a lot of people saying or implying that men who are voting no, their opinion is invalid because they're men, they can't have abortions, they'll never have to go through pregnancy. By that same logic, if you're basing that logic on the fact that they're men, then a man who's voting yes, their opinion is equally as invalid because you're basing the argument on the fact that they're men, not because of their actual argument. So identity politics, for example, why should it be the case where we can presume someone's views on one subject based on their views of another? Why should, if I, if I'm, if I was to propose this, okay, I would put my house, not that I have one, I put all my money, not that I have any, <laughs> on the probability that if you're voting yes, anyone listening to this, if you're voting yes on the Eighth Amendment referendum, then you more than likely voted yes to marriage equality, you're more than likely pro-EU, you're more than likely pro-immigration, and you're more than likely anti-Trump. I don't think that we should live in a society where people's views on one thing can be predicted based on their views of another. Because, just basically, someone else, I haven't explained this very well. well I, haven't I think done, you have. I, think I, haven't, done, really I haven't well. done Sam Harris that much justice here, but... Like, look, I think you're going to get a lot of hate for this, whatever way you try and explain it. But I think you've made a very fair point. 
um, with associating one entity with another in terms of when you're coming to vote. Mm. Like it, it's a referendum about a line in a constitution and you answer yes or no. Mm. A referendum because the whole idea of it is that it's asking everybody in Ireland it's in the constitution because it's something that everybody in Ireland has to decide on and so that look it is a very fair point I, like personally maybe I don't agree with every point of it but I, like I think you've articulated it well and I think it's a very I, I'd encourage everyone to vote this Friday obviously I'm gonna vote yes as we've said um, or as you as you clarified for everybody that I'm voting yes so thank you for that <laughs> yeah Imagine if I did it the other way. Imagine oh, I threw you under the bus. Really and I was like, just, let, just let everybody know here. Evan's voting no. So, but, you know, I, I think that people should make up their opinions on what they're voting based on their own rational beliefs of it. Not because of the beliefs of your friends. Not because you go to UCD and all your friends wear repeal jumpers. That's not a reason why you have to vote yes. Even if you want to take identity politics to an extreme, Let's say, for example, your sister, your mother, your daughter had to have an abortion last year. In, in terms of identity politics, that shouldn't have an effect on your decision. It will. There's no doubt that for most people it would. And I haven't been in that position to touch wood, so I can't say for, for definite it wouldn't affect me. But I think that we... For the sake of this theory. For the sake of this theory. And to just, to, just to summarise it, if you want to make a change in the world or you want to make a change in society, you have to make the change in the society that you can picture yourself not being in. You have to separate yourself from that situation and then make the change. That's the only way you can get rational thought on a decision. And again, Jason O'Matney, Jason O'Matney I think it is, he wrote a brilliant article there in the Times this week and he said, he said, repeal or not, let us be kind to each other. And he basically makes the point that, you know, we're moving into a society where we're almost trying to find divisions between each other rather than actually work together. And he finishes the article off and, you know, he's, he says from the outset that he's voting yes and he wants other people to vote yes. But he says that whatever happens on Saturday, let's be a little gentle with each other in the aftermath. For months now, thousands of ordinary people have been putting up posters, handing out leaflets and knocking on doors. There are plenty of countries where you would risk your life, or sorry, you would risk your safety for doing the same. This has been a pretty unpleasant process at times, but has also been the mark of a rigorous democracy. Campaigners on both sides can take equal pride in playing their role in that. And I think that's what's most important, is that we, regardless of the, the result of this referendum, that we have to keep working together as a unified society. I mean, look, at just to go back, I know I'm going on a complete rant here, a complete tangent, just to go back to what you were saying about Northern Ireland. You know, that's an extreme case, but that was because of two fundamental different beliefs who wouldn't listen to each other and they wouldn't respect each other and that's what happened so i i'll leave it i'll leave that with you i'll leave that with you because i went on an awful rant there that i wasn't planning to go on i think it was well said i think like look there's definitely parts where i differ from identity politics but i think you argued its case well and the points <laughs> you were portraying were really really nice that whole working together idea it's so important and it's something that can be missed at times so keep it up everybody We've done it for a hundred years now. Well, actually, in terms of the Irish Free State, a little bit less, but keep going. We've tried our best, at least. We've done our best. I think that... Yeah, like, look, we were going to finish up with just a bit of the legislation and fact-checking, but I think it kind of almost goes a little bit away from... takes away from the argument we're making. I don't know. Well, what do you have? Tell us what you have. Like, look, basically I want to talk a little bit about the legislation. I think it's something that people really need to look at because on either side, just educate yourself on and know what you're voting for, that this is going to be the legislation. Now, the difference between legislation and constitutional um, acts is that the constitution needs a referendum, the legislation won't. So this legislation that comes in can be changed by politics. So realise that when you're repealing this, there's going to be legislation that replaces it. It's going to be easier to change and it's going to be changeable by politi politicians rather than having to go to a referendum for every time, every time. So even if you aren't happy with it, you can work with your local politicians to have these changed in future bills and whatnot. So that's the first thing. Like The legislation does allow abortion up to 12 weeks. Um, after that, you'll need the approval of two medical practitioners but um anyway there's 
a series of checks you'll need. Suicide is not necessarily included um, in all of them. That's up to six months. So look, there's a lot of a lot of posters, a lot of ads from both sides that are going up. It's really, really important that they're fact checked, that you know what's going on, that you know the full facts. Like one of the interesting ones we saw is that one in five pregnancies are aborted in the UK. And if you look at the figures straight away, that looks true, but it doesn't take into account miscarriages. It doesn't count for people moving, uh, coming across from Ireland. So there's a lot of different things like that. Like I'm sure there's plenty on the Yes campaign. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're one of the biggest ones, I suppose, that was fact-checked. Just as well, to give credit to the Irish Times for these fact-checks. Yeah, again, I've stolen so much of my... I'm, I'm all for like using we're so many different sources. We're making ourselves look like these great investigative journalists that Isn't we're Isn't really it great not. that they just started advertising on us then during the week, it's isn't it? Our first monitoring. <laughs> yeah, so the, I suppose the most prominent Yes poster that has been under question uh, is the Solidarity, uh, I can't remember the name, full name of the group, Solidarity Party? Is it just Solidarity that? Alliance. Solidarity Alliance. So they have their poster that says that 170,000 plus women have had to travel for abortions. And that, you know, once you start bringing numbers into any sort of campaign material, you're, you're already playing with fire there. Now, as the Irish Times pointed out, according to their data and their analytics that is in fact true it's i think it's 170,000 and then there's a couple of hundred in there so they just rounded it off at 170,000 but you can rest assured that's a true statistic and uh, there's there's not really much differentiation there there's a, it's a pretty pretty hardcore statistic like yeah good job guys fact checked fact well done irish times i think that pretty much winds us up yeah it? sorry for such a lot well no I'm not you're sorry. welcome for such a long you're time. Welcome. Yeah, I feel like sometimes like, we got a lot of hassle the first time we did a one and a half hour long podcast. This is a little bit shorter. Hey, look, we've, we've five weeks of content, material. guys. Yeah, we've five <laughs> weeks of material here. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, like, look, we've. This is all you're going to get for another five weeks now. Yeah. <laughs> so, you break that up over five weeks. That's like 20 minutes. <laughs> we only do 10 a, 10 a year, guys. It's very valuable. <laughs> Our weekly podcast that's done every six weeks. Yeah, I mean, that's that's unique. I don't know any other weekly podcast. It's our or... niche. We found another one. A dark web podcast. <laughs> we sell a, guns. A dark web weekly podcast. Dark web weekly, weekly podcast. They only actually release a podcast every five to six weeks, and we shill guns on it. And are advertised by the Irish Times. Irish Times and the Times. So, yeah, thanks to the Irish Times uh, for their inf- for letting us steal your information. Uh, the Times of Ireland as well. Uh, Jason O'Mahony got in there. Good just to be clear, we don't just use these. <laughs> we do actually do research on plenty of other websites. Uh, oh, yeah. It just no. so happened that our Red Sea, the Red today. Sea Boys, yeah. um, Irish Examiner. They, they always have some good stuff. Yeah. The Journal, they even got a look in there this the week. The Star, well. The Sun. The, even even the Liberal for all our fake news that we needed for the week. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, look, we've looked at the uh, smear test scandal in Ireland. We've looked at the Northern Ireland border. Uh, we've looked at the Eighth Amendment referendum. And we have looked at the GDPR and how uh, Helen Dixon might be uh, bringing down the barriers on Mark Zuckerberg. Jordan, until next time. It's been an exciting one. It's been a pleasure.